Today's message is the next message in our Gospel Root Sermon series, where we've been looking back over the foundational values and practices and principles that undergird and nourish who we are today. The root system that our church has grown up out of over these 125 years. This is the fifth message. It looks like we're going to do one each month of this year. That's kind of how it's worked out, and I think we'll stick with that. In January, the the first and most foundational root system was the Gospel itself. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what we've been singing about this morning, over and over again. The Gospel of Jesus is the reason we are here. The second in February was about singing the Gospel, just like we did this morning, worship. The third was about sharing that Gospel with lost people, evangelism. The fourth message just a couple weeks ago was about being a praying church. Devoting ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful like our Hide the Word verse said. And today's message is about building our church on the Word of God, the Bible. Here's the title for today's message. Var star det skrivet. Wait a second, uh, maybe you can't read that. Let's use Google Translate and see what that Swedish phrase means in English. Where stands it written? Has anybody ever heard that phrase used before? A few of us. A few of us have. That was one of the watchwords of the founding of the free church movement in Europe and in the United States. Where stands it written? What do the Scriptures say? That's what that phrase means. Do you know very much about the history of the free church? I mean, even before Lance Free Church. We come in a particular stream and movement of church history. Our forebearers in the faith came from Scandinavia, the countries which had followed Martin Luther in the Reformation, especially for us here, Sweden. This year marks the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther nailed up his 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg. Luther was called to account for his teachings, which were a rediscovery of the gospel of grace. We'll talk more about that in the coming months as we dive into the book of Galatians. That's our next book to study together, Galatians. When Luther was called before the leaders at Worms, he was asked to recant his teaching. But he had come to believe that he was teaching the gospel in accordance with the scriptures. And even though everybody in authority at that time disagreed with Luther, and it was dangerous to preach what he was preaching, he said this in what has become known as his Here I Stand speech, quote, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Holy Scriptures, or by evident reason, for I cannot, for I can believe neither Pope nor councils alone, as it is clear that they have erred repeatedly and have contradicted themselves, I consider myself convicted by the testimony of Holy Scripture, which is my basis. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. Thus I cannot and will not recant, because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. God help me. Amen. 
See, Martin Luther took his stand on the Scriptures. And the Protestant Reformation exploded all over Europe. And one of their rallying cries was, Sola Scriptura. Now that's Latin. We don't talk that way around here. But Sola Scriptura means Scripture alone. Scripture alone is the supreme authority for Christians. And the Scandinavian countries, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, adopted, followed this Lutheranism. However, in those countries, they did not let everybody read the Bible for themselves. I know it's hard to imagine. But they didn't want everybody to make their own choices about the Bible. They wanted to maintain state control of the churches and have the pastors teach an authorized version of the Bible and keep everybody together on the same page. But some of the believers started to read the Bible for themselves. Gasp! And to gather to read the Bible for themselves together. A network of small Bible studies sprang up in Norway, Denmark, and Sweden. They were the lay Bible readers movement. And they experienced revival. And they grew. And this was their watchword. Var star det skrivet. They said that over and over again. Whenever anybody was teaching, they would, remind, they would say, Var star det skrivet. Where stands it written? Where did you get that? Show me that in the Bible. And then these Swedes immigrated to America. And when they came here, they formed what are called free churches. Free of state control. No longer a state church run by the government in in partnership with the government, but instead free and free to study the Bible for themselves. Some of those Swedes immigrated to a place called Lance, Pennsylvania to work in the coal mines here, the coal industry. Our church was founded by immigrants and they didn't speak English. They spoke Swedish, at least at first. A few of them gathered together and formed this church. The history that B. Johnson wrote for us says, most of the services were conducted at the homes of A.J. Palmquist. There was no permanent pastor, but the various members of the fellowship conducted the services. The records tell us that Alexander Gustafsson was a gifted speaker, and he did a great deal of the preaching. Preaching the Word of God. Here's our artifact for today. It is, let me look around, yep, it's the oldest thing in this room. Anybody recognize this? It normally sits out there in the glass case. This is a Bible owned by the church, and it's in Swedish. It's dated January 1911. This Bible is at least 106 years old. It was dedicated 106 years ago. It's a really cool thing to hold. It's got a leather cover. The pages are falling apart. You have to be careful with it. Our forefathers in this church put their fingers on the pages of this book and they said to one another, Var star det scribit. Show me where it's written. And for the first 60 years of our church, the preaching was in Swedish. Some people get mad that immigrants take their time to learn the central language of their new country. 
I'm sure that many of our forefathers learned some English to communicate with their neighbors. But when these folks went to church for the first 60 years, the preaching was in Swedish, the language of their hearts. Now the Bible down there on the communion table was given to the church in 1952. That's the year that the preaching switched consistently to English. 65 years ago. I often joke, what should be our third language, right? We've done Swedish for 60 years. We have 65 years of English. What's next? What will our next language be? That Bible was given in memory of Mrs. Jenny Swanson. And it is a King James Version in the Old English, 1611. How many here cut your teeth on the King James Version of the Bible? Can I get an amen? Amen. Many of you have copious amounts of Scripture memorized in the King James Version. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, right? That whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And there are a lot more Bibles right here in this room, right? Those black ones in the pew rack in front of you. We bought those about 18 years ago. They are in the version that I cut my teeth on. The New International Version, copyright 1984. There's a lot of those in this room, in the pew rack, and a lot of you carry them. That's what I tend to preach from every week. Mine is also falling apart. But there's a lot of other versions in this room. What other versions do we have here? Somebody yell out a version you've got. English Standard Version. That's my wife's favorite. It's really good. I, I, I like their study Bible, the ESV study Bible. What else? New American Standard Bible, the NASB. I think that was the favorite of Pastor Curry, my predecessor. We learned at district conference that a lot of the pastors in our district use the NASB last, uh, every week. A couple of the pastors preach from that. What's another one? New King James, right? An updated version. Still has the these and thous, but has a, a, a number of, of things that have been kind of made easier to read. Any others? I remember Marie Wirtz carried a new English Bible, the NEB, with her. Schofield Reference Bible, probably a King James Version. Yeah. Anybody else? Some of you have the updated 2011 NIV with you. That's a good one too. We tend to give that one now to our high school graduates. There's a new one out called the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. Uh, And they have a study Bible version of it. I want to get one. It looks really good. And some of you have other versions right now here and you don't even know it, right? Because you have your smartphone with you. It's not just turn in your Bibles, it's turn on your Bibles, right? There are so many versions accessible right now in this room because of smartphones. The point is not to get everyone to use the same translation The point is to get everyone looking at the Scriptures and saying, where stands it written? Because that question doesn't come first from Lance, and it doesn't come first from Sweden, and it doesn't come first from Martin Luther. It's a Bible question itself. It's a question they were asking in Bible times, and rightly so. It was the question that the Bereans were asking in our passage for today. Yes, this has all been an introduction. Acts chapter 17. The Apostle Paul and his team had just been to Thessalonica where they had founded a church 
to whom Paul would later write the letters of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. But their preaching was stirring up trouble, so Paul had to leave town. Let's start in verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you for what we've been singing about, how you redeemed us, freed us from our sins by your blood. And thank you for giving us this word, a sure word, a solid word, an inerrant word, an authoritative word, something, something solid to stand on in, in a shaky time. Something certain in an uncertain time. Help us, Lord, to direct our gaze. The gaze of our eyes and ears, but especially of our hearts at this Word. And to be changed because we have it. What a gift it is, Lord, to have it in our own language. For a thousand years, the Bible was in a language people didn't speak and it was chained to the corner of the church. And here we have a room full of them. And the question is, are we reading it? And the question is, are we believing it? Are we listening to it? Are we being changed by it? Are we stocking it up in our hearts? Oh Lord, do for us what you did for our forefathers 125 years ago. Ignite our hearts by the reading of your word. We pray it in the one whom this word points to, Jesus the Christ. Amen. You see where I'm going with this, right? It says the Bibles were of more noble character, not because they were great people. Not because they were better people or more holy than their surroundings, but because they were excited and careful about receiving the Word. The Bereans asked the question, where stands it written? These Berean folk were Bible people through and through. I've only got two points this morning. They're short and they're very simple, but they are for all of us today. Number one, receive the message with great eagerness. Receive the message. Literally in this verse, it is the Word with great eagerness. That's what the Bereans did. They were so happy to hear God's Word. They were hungry for it. Are you hungry for the Word? One of my favorite Bible verses is Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. It says, When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God. Almighty. Is that how we take in God's Word like a, like a meal? This week was my birthday. And as my wife was away, my mommy was visiting, and she made me a birthday meal. She made pork chops and rice and tomato sauce. You may say, ugh, but I say, oh. And then after we ate that, there was Texas sheet cake made by my mommy. 
I loved it. Oh my goodness, I'm salivating just thinking about it right now. Is that how we feel about God's Word? Are we hungry for it like we're hungry for our birthday meal? Friends, I had the hardest time writing this message because I care so deeply about this. This is my life. This is what I've staked my life on and it's my life's work. Studying and preaching and teaching and counseling out of God's Word. For 19 years now, I've been studying this book during the week to share it with you on Sunday mornings. And I believe every single word of it. Top to bottom. I don't understand every single word of it. But I believe it. Every jot, every tittle. I believe all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. I've preached all the way through Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, Hosea, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, twice. Philippians was the first book that I preached back in 1998, and then I did it again in 2004. I preached all the way through Colossians, 1 Timothy, Titus, James, 1 Peter, 1 John. And I've preached messages from many of the rest of them. I hope to preach every single verse of the Bible in my pastoral ministry here at this church at some point if the Lord gives me the opportunity. Because this is a church that is eager for the Word. That's our history. That's our heritage. And I hope it's our heart today. How many of you started coming here in large part because of the preaching ministry and the dedication to God's Word? A number of you. Whether it was Jack Kelly or me or whomever. I remember after I preached my candidating message in April of 1998. After that service we had a family meal back that hallway anybody remember what my candidating sermon was on back in 1998 i don't expect you to but you get extra points if you do and remember what book i preached out of it was habakkuk yeah i can't even find that one in your old testament right i picked habakkuk because it was probably my best message at the time i only had a few but i also wanted to know if you guys really wanted the bible or just jokes and inspirational stories. I figured I'd give you a minor prophet and see what happens. And I remember sitting with a young family at a table back there in the fellowship hall. I can still see where we were sitting. And this dad who said to me, you've got to come back here and teach us that. What's the rest of that? What happened next? That's what we need. He was receiving the message with great eagerness. And that won me. I just wanted to come and give this church the Word of God. This is a church that is dedicated to the Bible. We have Family Bible Week, right? And Family Bible Night. And we have Link Group Bible Studies. And we have Bible at our prayer meeting. And we have Sunday school classes that study the Bible. 
our current Sunday school classes are going through the whole story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in three years. And then who knows, we'll probably start all over again. Our children's church, those kids that went back the hallway, they're not just playing games and making a craft. They're getting Bible back that hallway. We give away our daily bread, a little portion of Bible to read each day. We have Bibles out there on the table. We buy them and sell them at our cost so that everybody has one. We're not trying to make money off of Bibles. We just want to make sure everybody's got one. We do, when we remember, we do hide the word verses up on the screen, right? So that God's word is hidden in our heart. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for us. And the point is not to have a Bible and have it just sit there or even to have it memorized and make no difference. You know, the Muslims believe their Qurans. They, they memorize their Qurans and they revere them. But they don't have them translated into their heart languages. And they don't try that hard to understand them either. At least the normal everyday Muslims. They leave that up to the professionals, the imams and the, the scholars. But that's not how it works in Christianity. In Christianity, the point is not the physical book, but the words and the truth that, that, that they convey. The Bible is for everybody. The Christian Scriptures are for everybody to receive with eagerness and to teach to each other. Not just me teaching it to you, but you teaching it to me and to each other. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Not just the professional leaders, not just the pastors. It says one another. Are we receiving the message, the Word, with great eagerness? One of the highlights of my year is teaching the adult Bible class at Family Bible Week. Because what I like to teach is not just the Bible, but how to study the Bible for yourself. And the students come so eager to learn. So we've learned that the Bible is a library, not just a book with different kinds of books inside of it. We've learned about Proverbs and Psalms and, and narratives and Gospels and epistles and law and how you read each one of those differently. One of my jokes is that an epistle is a female apostle. Thanks, John. But it's just a joke. You know better. Epistles are letters. And here, there's a way to read a letter. And last year we even did apocalyptic literature. Like you find in Ezekiel and Daniel and Revelation. There's so much to learn in these pages. This is where the power is. Wally Kephart likes to say, God didn't promise to bless our words. He promised to bless His Word. That's right. There's so much blessing here. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Receive the message with great eagerness. What do you have to do to do that? I mean, how does this affect you? What do you have to do to receive it with eagerness? Sometimes we are so full of junk food, we don't want the main course, right? We just snacked and snacked our way and we're not even hungry. Maybe you've got to put away some 
some things that are basically snacks that are keeping you from being hungry for the Word. Verse 12 tells us that many of these Bereans became believers at this point. It says, many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Praise the Lord! They received this message of the Gospel and it changed their lives forever. Just think about that. They received this message and it changed their lives, not just now, not just then, but now. Those are our Berean brothers and sisters and they are with Christ now because they received this message. Do you need to receive the message for the very first time? The most basic and central message of the Bible is that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you received that message with great eagerness? Because those that receive Him, those that believe in His name, He gives the right to become children of God. I invite you to receive Him right now. Are we hungry for the Word? Are we reading our Bibles? Remember that sermon back in February on King Josiah? When they found the book of the law that had been lost? Hundreds of years and nobody was reading their Bible. The application there was, I I say this again and again, read your Bible, heed your Bible, bleed your Bible. Are we doing that? When was the last time you did something because your Bible told you to? I wonder how many sermons have been preached from the Bible here at Lance Free Church. I'm sure that it's over 7,000. Because when you add up Sunday mornings, and I know there were many Sunday nights when there were messages, and then special occasions. I have preached at least 800 sermons here myself over the last 19 years. What difference is it making? Are we in our Bibles And are our Bibles in us? You know, my prayer often is, use me if you can, work around me if you must, but help us to hear what's here. Number two and last. Examine the Scriptures every day. You see that they did that? Second half of verse 11. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. I love that. If they had to do that for Paul, how much more should you be checking up on me? See for yourself. Double check. Now I'm not saying be skeptical of me all the time. I hope you have a basic trust of me. But don't just take my word for it. Where stands it written, Pastor Matt? Show me. That's the way I preach like I do. Did you ever notice how I'm always trying to get you to open your Bibles? And I'm always trying to tell you where to look at in them? What are some of my favorite sounds at church? The sounds of babies crying. Amen. The sounds of the whole church singing, especially voices only. And the sound of what? Pages turning in your Bibles. Turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, chapter 17. Pew Bible, page 1097. Look at verse 11. 
Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. That's what I'm always saying. This is why I'm saying, that's why I do that. Because I don't want you to believe things just because Pastor Matt says so. I am not your Pope. I want you to examine the Scriptures every day to see if what Pastor Matt said was true. Where stands it written? Show me in the Bible and I'll change my mind. You know, I almost didn't preach this message today because Daniel Stanley did it last week. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. That's what he preached. The first initials from that verse is where the word awana comes from. Approved workmen are not ashamed. And our church had a awana program as well. We've all got to study the Bible for ourselves and continually ask the question, where stands it written? And sometimes that means we're going to disagree. We're going to come to different conclusions on, on biblical matters. Because we are fallen, and because we are limited, and because we come from different starting places, And that's frustrating when that happens. But the free church has had a good approach to that problem as well. One of the key leaders in the middle of the 20th century was called Arnold Theodore Olson. The chapel at Trinity is named after him. I never got to meet him, but I saw him there before he died. Wally, did you get to meet Dr. Olson? Nesta, you met Dr. Olson. Anybody else here? Maybe at a free church thing? Nancy? Dr. Olson coined a phrase and he wrote a book called the significance of silence. And the point of that phrase is that there will be times when we disagree with each other on secondary measures, secondary matters. As long as we agree on the primary essentials of the gospel, then we speak together with one voice. But on a whole host of secondary matters, we have silence. Now, It doesn't mean we don't talk about those things together and even argue about them and debate them and sharpen one another. But we are silent on the matter as a whole association of churches. We don't speak with one voice about those secondary matters. The best way I've heard it described is that in the free church, we major on the majors and we minor on the minors instead of majoring on the minors. And Dr. Olson in his book talked about differences among free church people In secondary areas, like baptism, the Lord's Supper, Calvinism versus Arminianism, and the finer points of eschatology. We have our views, and we keep talking about them, and we keep comparing them from Scripture to Scripture, asking, where stands it written? But we don't fight over them, or divide over them. We stick together, standing on the Gospel. I love that about our family of churches as well. We have a sense of biblical priorities and proportions. We don't just keep examining the Scriptures and receiving them with great eagerness. We also glean from them what is most important and what is secondary or even tertiary or even relatively insignificant. When Paul says, I I gave you the Gospel which is of first importance, we say, oh, that goes to the top of the list. Friends, if I preach something up here that you disagree with, I want you to know I am good with that if you are getting your disagreement from the Bible itself. I respect that, and I respect you. I don't want a cult of little Matt Mitchell clones, little mini-me's running about town, 
parroting what I say, whether they know where it comes from or not. I want a church family of men and women and boys and girls who know their Bibles. They examine them every single day. And they think for themselves about what they see there. What is the most recent thing that you've discovered from your own reading of the Bible? What is the thing you've learned most recently from the Word of God that has made a difference in your heart and life? You won't be changed if you don't read it or memorize it or listen to it. Examine the Scriptures every day and you'll be a Berean. And you'll be a Lance Free Church person. And you'll see more and more of Jesus and Him crucified. Because Jesus said when He was fighting with the Pharisees, you diligently study the Scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life. Don't do that. Don't just read the Scriptures and think, oh well, if I just memorize this, I get eternal life. No, no, no. He says, these are the Scriptures that testify about me. You go here looking for Him. Jesus is the whole point of your Bible. He is where the Old Testament is heading and what the New Testament is proclaiming. And He is what we are celebrating at this table together.